0: Hello and welcome to the G2 Podcast. If you know me well or you've ever spoken to me for a long time or watched a film with me you will have discovered really quickly that i have a very below average understanding of celebrities artists honestly just like all general knowledge and i just thought i should start by sharing that and by way of example my flatmates picked up on this pretty quick in first year and um there was one day we were sat in the kitchen and they said to me who is this and showed me a picture for context right This could have been one of their random uncles. I had no idea. So I thought, I am not stupid. I can use logic. I looked at this photograph and I thought, it's a white man and he has slightly pointy ears. Now, I have never watched Star Trek, but I know that the people in Star Trek have pointy ears. So I said to my flatmates, is it a man from Star Trek because he has pointy ears? To which I was met with much laughter as they told me, "This is Eminem." <laughs> <laughs> and if that wasn't bad enough, when I was thirteen, I was at a charity cricket event in my local town, and um, it was studded with celebrities. But obviously, me being me, I had no idea who any of them were. But again, I wasn't stupid, and I thought some of these people will be famous, so just got a picture with like all of them somewhere. Thank you. Somewhere um, in the archives, there is pictures of me with loads of the cast of Harry Potter. (laughs) So I wonder if you've met someone famous. I wonder how that was for you. Did it change your life? Or like me, did you really have no idea who they were? In my experience, the people that have changed my life the most were actually really, really ordinary. I probably couldn't tell you when I met them. I probably couldn't tell you what moments changed my life. But in little ways over time they did. And our friends who have just got baptised are choosing to say, I have met Jesus and he has changed my life forever. Maybe you know him too. Maybe you're exploring whether he's real or fictional. Maybe you genuinely have no idea who any of us are talking about. Well, I'm going to give you a really brief introduction And bear in mind that if I asked you to summarize your best friend in 10 minutes, it would be really, really brief. I'm not even going to touch the surface, so do bear that in mind, but I want to give you an introduction. And for this, I need you all to use your imagination. I want you to imagine, and for some of you, this is going to be longer ago than others, that you're back at school. You're on the playground, you're about eight years old, you're playing hopscotch or duck-duck goose or whatever it was that you used to play. And a new kid's there. You meet him, he's relatively ordinary, he's actually kind of shy, he seems a bit quiet, but he's that kind of quiet where he doesn't really mind not being the centre of attention, he just wants to listen. He sits down and he joins in your game, and when you start chatting, you notice that his accent is a little bit different from the local accent. And it turns up, turns out he actually grew up in Egypt, and you being eight years old think this is pretty cool, you've never met anyone from Egypt and you want to be best friends with him. You pop over to each other's house for dinner, you ask your mum to text his mum and organise the next sleepover, and you start to become really good friends. Now time moves on and you both become teenagers. You're still quite good friends with this kid. In fact, you'd probably say that he's your closest friend now. And in the years that you've known him, you have start to learn a lot about him, but he still seems kind of mysterious. He's very accepting. He always brings lonely people to come and sit with you at lunch, chat with you. He's calm, he's studious, he doesn't get stressed about his GCSEs. He's studying really hard, but he also rests really well. And when you want to gossip about the girl across the corridor that you actually don't really like, he calmly shuts down the conversation and asks you to consider her feelings. And now you're in your 20s, he is your absolute favourite person to talk to. You chat late into the evenings about the meaning of life. He seems to talk in riddles, but he's always been a little bit abstract for you. And if you're having trouble with work or a relationship, he is the first person that you phone for wise advice. And now, jumping forward, you're both 30. He was there when you lost a close relative to a horrible illness. He comforted you. He sat with you when you wept. He held your hand and stayed up all night with you when it was impossible to sleep. Somehow the years have flown by, but he is your absolute best friend, and you cannot remember life before that day on the playground. Now, this guy sounds pretty ordinary in many ways, right? Well, one day he starts telling you about his family, and he says that that guy Joe that you thought was his dad actually isn't, and you're so ready to hear the family drama when he says that he was miraculously conceived by God, you crack a laugh to start with. You think he's actually messing around again, but you look at him and he's not laughing. And he starts telling this story. He says, God created this incredible universe. He made it perfect and humanity walked with God. They walked closely in a garden called the Garden of Eden, and this was perfect. Nothing was broken or bad. There were no wasps or bees. There was no harassment or harm. But as we can see today, the world is no longer perfect. And he asks you, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever judged someone behind their back, talked about them, commented on what they were wearing? And side note, he knows that you did all these things because he watched you for the last 25 years. Well, he says, that is something that separates us from God, and so we call that sin. And sin came into the world and polluted it, and that meant that where we were once close with God, we're now distant from him. The perfect Garden of Eden has now got thorns, it's got fear and shame. We no longer worshipped God or walked closely with him. Every single human was flawed and broken, each had turned from God meaning they deserve to be punished for their disobedience. Now, you interrupt your friend here because you think he has actually lost the plot, right? You know he's a nice guy, but now he's claiming to know and be God. He says that a loving and gracious God had compassion on his people, took on the form of a human and was born into this world. And he says, I am that human. But you think, right, how could he possibly be God? You're fully human. I've literally grown up with you. And then your friend explains that he is fully human, but he's also fully God. He says that in the past, people used to present sacrifices to God to forgive them for their sins. And that this would be things like um, lambs or different animals. They'd burn them as a sacrifice, as an offering. But your friend says that he, Jesus, has come to be the ultimate sacrifice for all of us. He says he's going to die and make every single human right before God, even you. You're somewhere between amazed and confused at this point. Like, does this bloke actually think that he's God? And Why does he want to die? And why does he want to die for me? Like, I know we're close, but mate, honestly, I don't think I'd give my life for yours. And then in the next couple of years after this conversation, you and Jesus remain really good Friends. He starts to become a really good teacher and people gather from all over the place to listen to what he has to say. And you listen too, even though you're not really sure what his stories mean. And one day you're out with him and a blind man is brought to him. And this blind man has faith that Jesus is God and is going to heal him. Now, you don't want to be a bad friend. But you are intrigued to see how this is going to play out. Because if this isn't true, it's going to get real embarrassing real quick. And then Jesus spits on the ground. He makes a paste of mud with the soil. And you think this is getting really weird. And then Jesus puts this mud on the blind man's eyes. And you almost can't look because you're so ready to be mortified. And Jesus sends the man away to wash his eyes. By which point you think, yeah, I'd probably want to wash mine too. And the man comes back. And then seconds later, he has his full sight. Okay, maybe this God stuff is real. And then not long after your 33rd birthday, you hear a commotion outside. So you go out and you see a crowd following a man. He's carrying something heavy and about double his size. And as you get closer, you see that this man is almost naked. And this object is a cross the man's back is bruised and bleeding. He's sweating, and by the way, he's walking, he looks like he's exhausted. And in confusion, you follow the crowd. Along the walk, and it's a long walk, people are talking about how this guy that's walking ahead of you was actually a criminal. They've actually wanted him dead for ages. And you kind of feel pleased that this criminal's being punished if he is such an awful man, but you can't help wondering what his crime was. What happened? What did he do to deserve the most brutal killing in your country? And it's only when you reach the top of a hill and the cross is being pushed into the floor and there's a man nailed by hands and feet onto it that you realize this man is your best friend. And in that moment, none of the conversations about God or death are in your mind. You are simply weeping, numb, and confused. You walk home after dusk, and honestly, you can't remember that journey home. It is like living your worst nightmare and having no one to talk to about it, because everybody else was so happy that this guy died. And you start wondering, did I actually know my best friend at all, or was he hiding something terrible? You have never lived a day of your life since you were eight without him, and you never got answers for those riddles, and now you're left confused. There's big questions you debated together. And he was only 33. This is not fair. Why did it happen to him? Why not me? What did he do to deserve that? And then a few days later, you decide it's time to go and visit his grave. Before you even get there, again, there's a big commotion, loads of noise, and you barely have the energy to interact with it. But by listening, you find out the body has gone Who would have the audacity to steal your best friend's body? Even more distraught, you walk home weeping. Along the way home, and you don't quite register when, you realise someone is walking alongside you. And you really aren't in the mood to talk, but their presence is comforting. And in the middle of your walk with this stranger, he turns to you and calls you by name. You never told him your name. And when you look him in the eyes, you see that it is Jesus. And if you weren't already confused enough, you now think that you're seeing things. But he embraces you. He shows you his hands where the scars are. He tells you that he knew all along that he was here to die. And that in doing so, he has taken the world's sin, those things that separate us from God, upon his shoulders. He's created a bridge between you and God. He allows you to be one with God again. He took your brokenness and all those things that made you far from God to the grave with him. And then he rose from the dead because death could not hold him because he created all things. And from him, all things came into being. And then your best friend tells you that he does sadly have to go. His father is calling him and he is going home. But don't worry, he says, I will send another friend. And this one's called the Holy Spirit. And he will be with you here on earth to live in you and dwell among you. And so out of God's graciousness through the Holy Spirit, God dwells among his people on earth again. And even in our brokenness, so it's not quite like that Garden of Eden. But God is here because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Now, this story can be really confusing. There's a lot of information to take in, and sometimes it's hard to know where to start. Can I just invite you to start wherever you are? If you don't know Jesus, and this is as good an introduction as any, and if someone introduces himself to me, I tend to introduce myself back. Maybe in your mind you just want to say, hi, Jesus, my name is, whatever your name is. I have a few questions about that story. Is that really true? Like, did that actually happen? And sometimes we call doing this prayer. If you've met Jesus before, but you're not really sure where you stand, maybe you want to acknowledge that confusion. Jesus, I thought that I knew you, but I don't anymore. I thought you had my back, but then something happens and it kind of feels like you left me. What was that all about? Or maybe you feel particularly close to Jesus. You might just want to say thank you for the reminder of your friendship and for how far you've traveled together over the years. The Bible is full of stories from those years that Jesus was teaching. And I'd like to read one of those stories to you now. It's from a book called Matthew, and you might have heard it before. If you just picture this as I speak. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples, that's his friends, get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was a considerable distance from land. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to the the disciples, that's his friends, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began sinking. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. I think it's really easy to hear this story and take away Peter walked on the water and then he seemed to fail but I want to focus today on the 11 other people who were sat in the boat I think this is actually more relatable for, because for most of us we've never walked on water but we probably have sat in a boat or sat somewhere and there's a book that I love and it's called if you want to walk on water you've got to get out of the boat it basically explores all of this story and loads of depth And it starts by asking you to identify what is the boat that I sit in. This is a thing that stops you from taking risks and walking towards what Jesus calls you to do. And for many years, that boat for me was the fear of uncertainty. I imagine I'm not the only one who'd rather know what was going to happen, even if it wasn't the perfect outcome, than to live with the uncertainty. It was easier for me to sit in the boat and grip onto the edges than to stand and face what was outside. But for you, that boat might actually be comfort. It might be that you love your life and you don't really fancy taking any steps that might hypothetically rock the boat. But for some people, that boat is more specific. Maybe it's a relationship or a friendship that you should have got out of by now, but you don't really want to step out of this one until you can see the next one coming because the waves look a bit too big. Or for some of you, the boat is financial. It's safer to sit in this comfortable life than to take a risk and potentially lose your financial security. You don't want to leave a job that you hate because you don't know if you'll find another one. Whatever it is, the boat often holds us back. We can't step into whatever God has for us until we step out of the boat and trust that Jesus is enough to walk on the water. Take a moment to consider what your boat is. And maybe today you're feeling stirred to do something, but for years you've not fully committed to Jesus in case somehow he lets you down. But let me tell you, he won't. Our friends who got baptized today have publicly declared, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he lived on the earth, that he died for my sins, and he rose again. And this picture of going into the water and back out pictures the death of Jesus for the sins of the world, his subsequent burial, and his triumphant resurrection. They have stepped out of the boat. They've trusted in Jesus and walked towards him with their eyes fixed on him. In the Bible, in a book called Acts, it says... And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptised and wash your sins away, calling on his name. What are you waiting for? And as we draw to a close, we can all respond in some way. To do this, I want you to consider thinking about your boat. Where are you in relation to Jesus right now? Are you huddled fully inside the boat with a life jacket on? Are you starting to let go of the edges, but still firmly sitting down? Are you standing up? Do you have one leg in and one leg out? Are you walking on water and absolutely loving it? Are you walking on the water and looking at the storm ahead? Maybe your step out of the boat today is to join our friends and to say, I too believe in Jesus. I want to publicly declare that I know him. And why not get baptized? We do have spare clothes. Or maybe you want to take the very first step towards Jesus today. And if so, I'm going to lead us in a prayer to close. But wherever you are, you are in a boat. And I want you to consider what is your next step towards Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me and say this prayer in your heart if you believe it? Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things that I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. And I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.